0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Cyberspeak with InfoSec Institute. Today's guest is Christian Beek, the lead scientist and senior principal engineer with McAfee. Christian has had a diverse career, encompassing many aspects of the cybersecurity field, and today he's going to talk to us about his career path, as well as the future of cybersecurity and the No More Ransom project. Christian Beek, lead scientist and senior principal engineer, is part of McAfee's office of the CTO leading strategic threat intelligence research within McAfee. He coordinates and leads the research in advanced attacks, plays a key role in cyberattack takedown operations, and participates in the No More Ransom project. In previous roles, Beek was Director of Threat Intelligence in McAfee Labs and Director of Incident Response and Forensics at Foundstone, McAfee's forensic service arm. At Foundstone, he led a team of forensic specialists in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa during major breaches. Beek develops threat intelligence strategy, designs threat intelligence systems, performs malware and forensics analysis, pen testing, and coaches security teams around the globe. He is a passionate cybercrime specialist who has developed training courses, workshops, and presentations. He speaks regularly at conferences, including Black Hat, RSA, and Blue Hat. He is also teaching at universities, police academies, and public schools to recruit, mentor, and train the next generation of cybersecurity specialists. Beek contributed to the best-selling book, Hacking Exposed, and has two patents pending. Christian, thank you for being here today.
1: Well, thank you very much as well.
0: Uh, so let's start out with your security journey. How did you get involved in security? And uh, I see, I saw a video of you on the Forbes website. Uh, what was it about hacking specifically?
1: Um, I think it was like about the age of 12, I was involved in getting a Commodore 64 computer, one of those old uh, old farts, I would say. And my and my next step was really, of course the the commodore amiga i i love that machine the the graphics the 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 sounds all that stuff and uh, of course i wanted to do some expansions so extra hard drive and stuff like that so i went to one of those small congresses here in holland and there was a group of people and uh there was like a big sign called hectic and i was like what are these guys doing right because the, the title was sounds amazing and and then they were playing with some phones and some computers and I started to talk with them and actually they were a, a group of hackers here in holland that actually was doing uh, phone hacking phone freaking and actually they, they sold me their complete uh year subscription of magazine and honestly i have started reading those from back and forth and back and forth and that's actually where i decided like hey man this is so cool i, I want to do that stuff too and that's actually where the spark started for uh, yeah being curious and actually uh, getting access to systems where you're normally not supposed to have access to.
0: Now, now that's um, interesting because uh, I guess my question from there is, what motivated you to join the good guys with the Garden Hacking? Because it could have been very easily for you to say, you know, with phone freaking and so forth, like, I just want to be a hacker and sort of go out into the you know into the wilds and and do damage what was what was it that 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 sort of convinced you that you wanted to both be a hacker but both also be a hacker for you know the good guys
1: i think the scene in those days uh here in holland was definitely not about like going the dark side it was really about the curiosity uh the technology uh the, the challenge right like uh challenging to get into systems that that were not designed to be accessible over the internet. I think it was more the challenge there and and the the mental um, challenges we we were having and and the fun we had to to break into those systems or or test them. Uh, And nobody actually realized or actually had a a bad choice or actually they wanted to do some bad stuff. It was really about the curiosity. And for myself, like, yeah, I never thought about uh, joining the dark side. Uh, Of course, like you said, it's easy, right? Uh, And especially nowadays, it's very profitable, but in those days, nobody thought about it.
0: You just were in it for, to see sort of how the thing worked and how, like how the, how, how the sausage gets made, so to speak, or how the, how the process yeah. works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, tell me about your job as lead scientist for McAfee. What does McAfee's threat intelligence division specifically research? Like what is your, what does your day to day job look like?
1: Uh, well, thank God it's every day different, right? <laughs> so there's no, never dull day, yeah. oh, especially yeah. in the, the threat landscape nowadays. Um, uh, if if you look average, like so, to to set the team uh, the the picture there is that uh, our advanced threat research team we have kind of two departments within the team. So one is really looking into uh, vulnerabilities from cars, uh, from airplanes, uh, IoT devices, uh, kind of the zero days in in those spaces, and really for to start the dialogue with the industry, like not to shame uh, vendors or really create like a kind of uh, fear picture like hey we need to be scared and afraid it's more like we really want to start the dialogue with those people like it's, it's great that we have smart cars coming up but why don't we already start thinking about security is since they are in many ways connected to whatever the internet so that's one part of the division uh the other part of the team is where i'm leading the team as well is um is around really like nation state attacks, uh, advanced technologies. What are they using? What can we learn from that? How can we innovate on those kind of things? But also like uh, we all see that uh, probably we have a maybe later discussion in the talk as well, like the attribution challenge, right? Like, oh, who's behind it? And I really try to teach my team like, okay, that might be something interesting for some customers or some people in the world. But for us, it's more important like how they do it. and. How can we actually develop new um, research techniques to actually be better at finding those guys? Or at some point, even find better ways to attribute or go back in time and where we can stop it. So one of the things I'm working on currently is a lot about what I call digital code DNA, where I really try to see like, okay, you have one piece of ransomware, for example, in different family versions, but they all have some some same building blocks. And if I find those building blocks, how can I actually identify those and stop them. So hmm. at the end, it doesn't matter which next version they create, we already stop it. So kind of a nutshell what we're doing here. And it's really a nutshell.
0: Okay, so you're you're going beyond finding solutions to the actual problem and finding the sort of patterns that sort of uh, run through all of these. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously you didn't just sort of walk into McAfee one day and say, I want this," you know, this career, I want this life. So, uh, it, you know, a lot of our, our viewers are people who are maybe a few steps down the career ladder who are interested in, in moving up and changing direction, getting involved in security or just a different aspect of security. So, if someone wanted to get started in a career in, say, threat intelligence strategy or research, uh, where would they start? What combination of experience, certifications, learning activities uh, would you want them to engage in to move into this career path?
1: Uh, I think, honestly, when we recruit people, I mostly look at, okay, what did did they contribute to the community already? Uh, Where's their passion at? So if somebody wrote already tools or uh, stuff like doing stuff like that, that's interesting to me. It tells me something about the person. Um, But also analytical skills, I would say, like to be able to take one step back and think about the context. Because what we see nowadays a lot, uh, to be honest, I see is like, okay, somebody is an analyst or somebody is a malware reverser. Uh, somebody's like a pen tester, but being able to take that one step back and to say like, okay, I understand the role from like, hey, if somebody tries to break into a system, how would he do that? That will help you as a defender, as an analyst as well, if you look at the data. And, and on top of that, like the context, what is the geo- geopolitical context, for example, when we look at a campaign, that, that's really where I really try to challenge my team is like, look, we have the different roles in our teams. And we, we, we actually, we hook them up with each other. So we have an analyst hooked up with a malware reverser. But then on top of that, is, it's me and some other colleagues that are really doing the final checks. It's like, okay, but what about the context? If, if you find something like really to encourage the people to, to look beyond that. So somebody who wants to start in this job, I would say like, you need to be, you need to be multifunctional, like, or at least learn some uh, pen testing skills. So you understand how to break into a system because that will help you as a defender as well to look where to look. And if you understand that, where to look, it's, it's those combinations that would be great. And honestly, uh, with, with the internet nowadays and all the tools and um, the, the, the courses available, oh, you can read so much. There's some really good books out there where you can start or tutorials, uh, videos. So there's plenty where they can, that people can really start.
0: Oh, that leads into my next question perfectly. So what do you think the role of education in certification is in this path? Do you think that researchers who put in the time to learn the topics in an educational setting, get the certs and so forth, um, have a better handle on things than those who are learning by trial and error?
1: Um, it, it's, I think honestly it's individual based. Like some mm-hmm. of the people really benefit from doing a certification uh, education track that uh, they've, they flourish from that part where if, if you look at myself, for example, I, I never had the education. It, it wasn't available by the, by the available? time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, but <laughs> right. still like being self-taught and have that uh, discipline to actually uh, Every time, try to encourage yourself to be better and get better, improve your quality. That will definitely help you. But uh, I think, thank God, nowadays there are some really good educational tracks available. And what we mostly look at is like if, if it's a lot of practical knowledge they, they have, like if, if the education is not only like how just study a book and how to, a tool works, but also like, hey, if, if I would actually delete the tool, would you be able to command line do the same thing? Or do you have practical experience with it? So I think that that's really uh, important to us.
0: So yeah, in addition to the education, you also want there to be sort of an element of play. Obviously, they they should, on their own time, have been you know trying out these combinations or or building tools or or finding ways to automate things and so forth. And and that's going to go a long way as well.
1: Well, absolutely. And if you look, for example, if you have to testify in court, for example, uh, if if the judge asks you for like, okay, how does this work? And you say like, oh, I only clicked on the tool, uh, left mouse click this menu, right? <laughs> right. But you need to be able to explain uh, like in layman's terms, like, Hey, what is really happening and how did you do your research? So uh, right. not only about uh, yeah, using the tools.
0: And that's, I think that's something that's come up in just about all of our career track things is in addition to knowing the skills you need to have, uh, the ability to convey what you did, you know, well, you need to have a, a good communication skill background, not just in terms of with your, you know, your team and your individuals, but also, uh, um, you know, when tell, telling, other people what you've done and, and how it was done. So, um, if one of our listeners wants to get into threat intelligence research and strategy as a profession, uh, but they might feel like they're kind of out of the the range of, of, you know, appropriate activities, what is one task they could take on today in their own job or life that would put them a step closer to their goal?
1: I think there's some really good material out there from uh, conferences, like for example, the the sounds uh, forensics uh, conferences or summits, uh, threat intel summits. Read those presentations. There's a lot of tips. There's a lot of advice in them, and it will really help you direct in like what people are doing, what what the trend is. I think that that's a big a quick win you can do. That that's something really easy to do, and uh, gives you a lot of insights in what what it is and what you can do. Do
0: mm-hmm. um, you think that there's you know? things you can do kind of in in your day-to-day life. You could, you know, volunteer with a local organization or, you know, take on their sort of security, you know, issues and so forth like that. I I assume that sort of, like you say, building up a, a, you know, a a storehouse of hands-on experience that you can show to a potential employer is important as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. For example, if you look at a great initiative, it's called MISP. It's a malware information sharing platform. You can actually download a, a virtual machine version of it. Just start to play with it. Understand where where people are submitting threat intelligence. What are they submitting? Why are they submitting it? How is the structure? Why would it be useful for a company? To really understand the whole, I would say, um, chain of events. Like, okay, why would somebody in a company collect this information? But why would it be useful, right? What what are the answers you try to answer here? If if you really try to, to understand those kind of steps and why it would be important, that really would help you.
0: To, uh, moving on to some of your other um, activities outside of McAfee, what is the No More Ransom project? Is that an attempt to eliminate ransomware as a viable tech factor?
1: Absolutely. So a few years ago, um, like McAfee was one of the co-founders of this initiative. Actually, um, is that ransomware was was booming, like it was going like crazy, and it was really hard to get hold of it, or people didn't go to the police and file their cases. So uh, at some point, uh, one server with keys was uh, was actually uh, held by the police. And they came actually to us vendors like, hey, guys, we have the servers, we have the keys, but we don't have the expertise to write the decryptor. Hmm. So that's, that's actually where it started. It's very small. Uh, But then with the support of the European police and some other um, uh, support organizations, we slowly build it out to to like a big initiative where we now currently have like, out of my head, 86 decryption tools for Hmm. ransomware families. Uh, But also uh, in every European languages and also languages around the world, people can actually read the website, They can file their case to the local police. uh, But also there's an answer, right? Because it was either your files are gone or you have to pay. But we give the answer: do not pay, and we we have this uh, decryption uh, opportunity as well. Not mm-hmm. always, I'm honest there, but th- there are so many partners now involved, like f- uh, f- from peers in our industry, but also a huge amount of law enforcement agencies that support this initiative. And the great thing is as well is that if we find something, like we have a clue of where a command and control server is, we go through our partners here with law enforcement, and within a day. They they seize the server or they put a tap on it so we can try to get an arrest on um, the actors. And to be honest, I'm very proud because last year, thanks to a cooperation with the Dutch Hightech Crime Unit and uh, our team, uh, we were able to arrest a ransomware gang in Romania. So that, mm. was, that was a big success.
0: Now, is there, do you believe that there's a, a, a flowchart that everyone who is hit with ransomware should follow? Like. It, Say you get hit with ransomware, whether person or company, like what's what is the first step in in No More Ransoms' mind? Where where do you start? Do You call the authorities? Do you contact you guys? Um, in the
1: No More Ransomware's website, there is a um, like like a kind of um, page where you can actually upload the uh, like like the note, the ransom note. And it can help or upload a few files and it will identify with which ransom you are being hit. Okay. And also it will uh, give you the opportunity to say like, hey, we have a decryptor, yes or no. And also the opportunity, do you want to file a case? So that's actually the flow in, in the normal ransomware initiative.
0: Okay. And this is something you can do in the span of the ransom? I mean, because a lot of those ransoms are only a couple of days, so uh, This
1: is easy to be done. This, this is like uh, in less than half an hour, you're, you're going through the flow.
0: Is a fairly automated process. Yeah. And, and it, is this free to the person who's been hit or is there, a, is there a fee? a
1: totally free service.
0: Wow. Okay. And is it available to people all over the world or just? In-
1: all over the world in all kinds of languages. Well, I think wow. from, you can, can't imagine like uh, the amazing thing as <laughs> right. well. I'm so happy that you actually mentioned this in, in, in your show because many times when we are on stage and we ask people, have you heard about No More Ransomware? You see only a couple of hands and we're just like, yeah. Yeah, we're surprised we, we, by it. It's like, but,
0: we talked to someone about ransomware and uh, yeah, this is the first I'm hearing about it. So I'm, I'm very excited about this. Yeah. Um, so do you feel that ransomware is uh, an issue that could be cured in the way that, you know, a disease like measles or whatever has, has, has been? Is there is there a sort of an inoculation possible or is this something that's that's just going to be an escalation of, you know, better, you know, better hacks, better, you know.
1: Well, to be honest, uh, I already see the decline in ransomware. It's more like really? the, the amount of families that, that's already going lowering lowering since, uh, I would say, a few months. Like mm-hmm. It's a decline of families. Of course, volume-wise, it could be having ups and downs. Uh, but what we've seen, of course, that a lot of the ransomware actors have moved away and then go to cryptojacking Because, yeah, with, uh, oh. <laughs> if you can actually... Uh, because let, let's be honest, they go for a quick way getting money. Yeah. Yep. For a ransomware campaign, you have to fire maybe 10,000 emails and um, pray they pay, right. as we say, <laughs> um, yep. where cryptojacking, you could be very successful in stealing someone's wallet and only three bitcoins is $12,000 at the moment or a little bit more, but th- that, that's for far more lucrative and that's what yep. they're looking after. On the other side, yeah, there are still some uh, gangs out there that do really do some targeted ransomware campaigns, where they really go after big fish and really mm-hmm. try to infiltrate a hospital or something like that. But they try to ask a lot of money. So, yeah,
0: right. And um, you know, the person that uh, our previous guest uh, was talking about um, ransomware, and he was saying that it's actually um, you're almost better off with a better organized group. Because especially if you get to the negotiation phase, because you're dealing with, you know, an organization, you know, that has, you know, people you can communicate with and so forth. But some of the the worst ones are, you know, these ransoms where it's, you know, some some weirdo out there who, you know, bought you know ransomware in a box and doesn't really know how to work it and doesn't really want to get in touch and whatever. And, you know, it was sort of, you know, it was a contradiction that, you know, the worse they are at it, the worse it actually is for the person being hit.
1: Yeah, we we did a little project last year where we actually infiltrated mm-hmm. in this world of ransomware actors, and we actually uh, we, we we actually uh, said like, okay, hey, we're students, and we're doing our master thesis on ransomware, and we want to learn a bit more about motivation. Are you willing to answer a few questions? And what we found out as well, like we took like a quarter of ransomware uh, families and samples, mm-hmm. all the ransomware notes there were email addresses in there, and we started to write to those email addresses and. 35% of those email addresses were already fake. So even if wow. people have paid and actually sent money, it, it was gone.
0: It just went away somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Um, moving on, in your bio, it says that you frequently teach at universities, police academies, and public schools to recruit and mentor and train the next generation of cybersecurity specialists. Um, and we talked earlier that you started, you know, obviously in the, the golden age of uh, Commodore 64. Uh, in your In your teachings and travels, what have you seen – about the future of cybersecurity specialists, do you think that the next generation are more or less or differently prepared to face the cybersecurity challenges of the future?
1: Uh, I think there's plenty of tools or software or uh, education available for them. I think the challenge for them is like, to, what is the right things I have to pick, or what, what what because now there's now such a overload on information or things available that it also makes it sometimes difficult for them. Like, okay. What do I need to choose? What, what is important for my job to, to learn about? And I also, if you look at the, the, the cyberspace event, like the, the knowledge you have to have, like in, in and I'm lucky because I had my uh, penetration hacking background, then I moved forward into forensics, and then I did instant response and, and malware reversing. So that whole skill set uh, with, with like an analytical, political background uh, helped me a lot to do my job nowadays. Mm-hmm. But not everybody has that that skill set or th- does does not know right how to pick that, so that's why I really try to teach when i or inspire them is like, look, this is important, and this is why you need to focus and so changing from uh, or sorry sharing from my experiences uh, in the field what we learned uh, sometimes the hard way and um uh, and try to prevent that for them to make their life a bit easier
0: do you is there are are there a- proportionate number of people who are interested in getting into cybersecurity? Do you, cause I, you hear stories all the time that, you know, that, that we're, we're desperately, you know, there's a gap between how many people are needed and how many are, are out there. Do you feel like that there's a large number of people who are finally interested in wanting to get involved in studying and learning about cybersecurity? I think
1: we should be honest here is that as an industry, we, we should be more in front of the classes. Mm-hmm. Like go to the schools and actually tell about how cool the job we have, because honestly, yeah. if kids don't know how cool the job is, or we demonstrate what we are doing, how would they actually ever want to choose for this job? Right. So that's some of the, one of the things I'm doing here. And for example, in Holland, is like I'm going to some of, some of the universities or some of those schools uh, and just tell them about like my job or we do like a master class and actually we, we, we simulate a, a campaign. Mm-hmm. And let them analyze uh, side by side uh, on, on some of the evidence to solve the puzzle. And then you see the, the 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 twinkle in their eyes, like wow, this is very cool. And it's like, well, this is my day to day job. And honestly, if you want to do this, yeah, <laughs> we need a lot of you guys. So join you, the forces.
0: Do you, do you think that there's any sort of you know industry wide campaign that should be taking place to get younger people more interested in this? Uh, what would what would be the angle other than this is really cool?
1: There's several initiatives where, where what we're doing, like, and I know from some other competitors that they do the same uh, for us. We do, for example, something in the UK in Bletchley Park, the, the famous location where uh, Mr. Alan Turing uh, sure. decrypted the Enigma code. So we do an initiative over there. So we bring school classes of kids over there we give them a, a tour. And then we talk about our, uh, our jobs. And uh, so that, those are kind of initiatives. And. There's a few initiatives we're going to launch this year uh, out of McAfee as well. So uh, stay tuned for that.
0: Well, Christian, thank you for joining us today. This has been very, very educational. Well, thank you very much. Thank you all for listening and watching. If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more of them on our YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and type in Infosec Institute to check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and past webinars. If you'd rather have us in your ears during your workday, all of our videos are also available as audio podcasts please visit infosecinstitute.com slash cyberspeak for the full list of episodes. And if you'd like to qualify for a free pair of headphones with a class sign-up, podcast listeners can go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast to learn more. Finally, if you'd like to try our free Security IQ package, which includes phishing simulators you can use to fake fish and then educate your colleagues and friends in the ways of security awareness, please visit infosecinstitute.com slash securityiq. Thanks once again to Christian Beek, And thank you all for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week.